Hello, everybody. Thank you once again for joining us. Um, if you are new, welcome. If you joined us before, welcome back. Um, today, we will be talking to Palesa Lipule. She is from South Africa. She studied uh, at the University of Ireland, um, Galway, National University of Ireland, Galway. Uh, we were together there. We first met at a reception by the Irish Embassy in Pretoria and shortly at school thereafter. Um, Palesa, how are you? I'm good, thanks, Inge. I'm, I'm great. Um, would you mind telling the listeners a bit about yourself? Uh, okay, so my name is Palesa from South Africa. I am a human rights lawyer. And yeah, so I worked a lot in the nonprofit space and passionate about women's rights and gender-based violence. And I went to Ireland to do my master's in international human rights. And now I'm back trying to work in that space. And how, how's that been so far? Are you making headway? Is your career coming along the way you'd had anticipated? Um, um, I've had to pivot quite a bit. And I've had to kind of go where necessary didn't want to go first to make a segue into where I want to go. So it's been a bit harder than I anticipated. Um, you know, I'm actually thinking thinking about the fact that um, now, now roles have just been reversed a bit because I remember you had a radio show back in yeah. school yeah and i was your guest once and um yeah i was just thinking about that uh, now you're in the other chair that yes was um, <laughs> those were good times and um have you actually continued in that kind of space since coming back from ireland i did for a little bit when i first came back when i initially came back there was a radio station I was in touch with in Ireland where I became the Africa correspondent on all issues Africa that they had to discuss. They would call me in to kind of give my opinion. So I have done a little bit of that, not as much as I would like, but I have like dipped my feet and beat into it. Oh, yeah. And um, we got back um, during COVID times, we got back to Africa around, around about the same time. And um, but you went back. Yes. Can you tell me about the decision to go back to to Ireland? Um, I just I think the reason I went back is I wanted to strike while the iron was still hot, hoping to make segues in in Ireland. But the pandemic presented a very difficult program uh, environment. I mean, because a lot of places were not hiring because of the work at home environment, and a lot of businesses were shutting down. So I think. In retrospect, it wasn't the best time to go, but I'm, I'm still glad I went because, yeah, I still have an opportunity to live in Ireland for a couple more months. Okay. Um, so initially, initially, um, when you did leave for, for Ireland, what, what, were you, what were you hoping for? What were you looking forward to? Um, what experiences um, were actually like top of the list for you? Like, what am I gonna do when I get to Ireland? What, what what was that? What was that plan for you? Um, yeah, I think top of mind was to reconnect with my classmates that I'd left behind and hopefully make new connections and find my tribe and island. But because of the level five restrictions at the time, I could there were no movements. People weren't allowing people over to their houses. They were taking like the restrictions very seriously so it prevented a different 
a difficult environment to interact with others in the way I've hoped as well. The pubs weren't open. It was just stay at home. And if you knew and, no and, one at home, it was very lonely. Yeah. And, and you know, um, COVID actually did present such a, such a difficult yet um, at some point there was, there, was a, there was a time where you have to embrace that time when you're alone. So much time for mm. self-reflection. And um, after a while, it got a bit tedious. And after a while, it got a bit lonely, then a bit, yeah. a bit depressing. But um, over, overall, the move to a different country and different continent, well, because we didn't arrive during COVID, so we actually had um, time to yeah. move around and rediscover who we are and um, f- find, find out um, things about ourselves that we would never would have known um, had we stayed in one place. But what for you could you say self-expression your your way your sense of self-expression your sense of self altered while while you were in Ireland um I think Ireland and South Africa are very different I come from Johannesburg born born and bred and those who have lived in Johannesburg would tell you that it's very fake it's very flashy it's in your face people aren't who they perceive to be or who they pretend to be so what I enjoyed about the environment in Ireland, it, it it was a lot less pretentious. People were just more open and willing to be themselves. And I think it was a bit more refreshing. It wasn't flashy. People were, yeah, people were just themselves, even if themselves meant they were paid back and not flashy, look at me. And I, I found it very refreshing. And what I also appreciate is that my sense of style in South Africa, people always look at me like, what are you wearing? But in Europe, I found, I found connection. I found I was happy to be myself and my sense of self-expression as well. I could express it more in a better way because I had an open environment that welcomed it as well. So I think when I think of of how well it suits my personality it's not it's not loud it's very down to earth and paid back humble not flashy and I think those are the things that resonate with me so I think it just helped me express myself a bit more and be more accepting as my, of myself as a quiet person because where I come from everybody has to be loud and to be seen whereas Ireland is uh, yeah you, you could be quiet at, you could have that quiet sense about you and people still acknowledge your presence that that is that is absolutely so powerful actually I, I I could say that I I saw and experienced quite the same thing because you say Johannesburg ne? yeah perhaps on a different level but Masaru is also mm. like that and it, it's it's there's this competitiveness to to be showy and to be seen and to be heard and that rush of I'm doing I'm doing I'm doing I'm doing time is running out and that that race and I I feel like mentally it's just it's just yes. not good for for me and and in in Ireland you move at the pace that you want to move at and and nobody is in your business everybody was just minding their own business and yeah exactly and for me you had to, time to yourself and to say, this is who I am and be happy and comfortable with that. And like you're saying, people would still acknowledge you for who you are and, and see you as you are. And, and that for me, I found quite, quite refreshing. And, um, and yeah, and, and, and uh, there's other elements though, because as black women um, in a different continent, um, there's also uh, a reception that we have to contend with 
with our race, despite that level yeah. of comfort within ourselves that we that we found. Um, you, me, and our listeners right now, I think we're well aware of South Africa's apartheid history. And, you know, um, so something it could be debated that it's still a very, very racist society now. Um, can you tell us about that from your perspective as a South African living in South Africa right now? And um, what experience did you get regarding your blackness when you were in, in Europe? Whew, where do I begin? <laughs> So as a black South African, I could honestly say that it's still very, racism is still very loud, it's still very in your face. I was in Cape Town a couple of weeks ago and that is one of the most stellar examples of racism in our country, how black people feel and are treated whenever they're in Cape Town because you feel like you're in a different country. That's how, that's how bad it is. But I think coming from a country with such a racist history, I'm always going to be aware about races, of racism. I'm always going to be aware of those little looks that people give you. So I think in Ireland, it wasn't as profound as I experienced here in South Africa, but obviously there were those little looks. I remember once I was going grocery shopping and some man was carrying a backpack and he was... Um, walking he was just slightly walking in front of me and I, I feel like he turned at the corner of his eye he saw me and he made sure his bag was properly closed I was dressed properly I didn't I wouldn't have given the impression of me being there to do something bad but just the mere color of my skin gave that man the impression that I could do something bad and I feel like it was those little things in Ireland it wasn't as pronounced but it was those little things. And I think that's why I took pride in taking uh, uh, part in these anti-racism marches in Ireland because it's people experience it all the time. I had a friend who lived in a remote town in Ireland where she was one of the only black people and her experience was heartbreaking. She told me how she was constantly harassed and followed home because she was literally one of the only black people in that town. and the racism was very pronounced. So there are lots of examples, but for me personally, it wasn't as bad. It's just the, the small things, the looks that people give you when you walk into the room and you're the only black person there, people touching onto their purses to make sure that it's properly closed or whatever. So I think it was those small things that I mainly noticed in Ireland. Well, well for me, um, for me, I, I think it's funny now um when I'm because I'm home it wasn't so funny when it was happening and um, for me I I had these incidences these racist incidences on the bus <laughs> and you know when the bus is full and the only empty seat is the one next to you and everybody's just standing and mm. nobody's willing to sit down next to you um I, I found it so baffling because in as much as Lesotho is inside South Africa we don't experience like there's hardly any white people around and so yeah. it's it's just us so um being being um, aware of your differences based on the color of our skin is something that's somewhat a bit foreign mm -hmm. and and so when, when that when they hit me with that like seriously you're not gonna sit you'd rather stand i thought it was a bit ridiculous but it was also quite quite hurtful and um yeah, yeah. you you speak you speak about the the marches that you joined um uh, anti-racist protests and, and stuff like that because I remember you ve being very very vocal 
and um you you really did take 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 a, a stand in a very noticeable way when the um the black uh, black lives matter movement um really really came up um can, can you tell me what that meant for you and why it was so important for you to to take to take a stand against that okay thank you so when i was in ireland i spoke up on a platform called the Galway Anti-Racism Network because they had approached me because a classmate of mine had said that I come from South Africa and I think they thought because of the background of having come from South Africa I would be, be a good person to represent the Black Lives Matter movement. I mean I felt very proud to speak about my experiences and just to let people know that these things happen all the time whether or not white people are willing to admit that racism still exists, they can't invalidate my experience as the person who has to receive this racism. So I think it was nice to draw an awareness, but it's still not great that in this generation, in this day and age, we still experience racism. You know what I'm saying? As if it was a century yeah. ago. Slavery happened how many years ago and we're still fighting to get the shackles or to completely be ourselves and be free and not be racially profiled or looked at in a certain way because of the color of your skin. So um, all in all, what, what might you think is, is still lacking for black people all over the world, in South Africa, in Ireland, in America, all over the world? Um, what do you think for us to get to that point of social justice and racial equity. I think I think a major part of it is how people raise their raise their kids. Like the everyone will know the saying that nobody is born a racist. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Kids are, are are born open and loving until they're groomed to hate certain people just because of the color of their skins. So I think it also goes into how we raise our kids and how it's also responsibility of people to kind of educate themselves not to take everything you're told at face value, but to experience it yourself. A lot of white people are told that black people are bad without having a negative experience. So the next time they, in they interact with the black person, there's, honest, there's, there's obviously gonna be that negative con connotation in the background. And I think people just need to educate themselves because I think a lot of the time white people place the burden of educating them on racism on black people whereas even if you tell them about the experience they still invalidate it because they're like but I've never seen that that's never happened to me I haven't done that so I think they also need to learn that just because you haven't personally done it or you haven't personally seen it it doesn't mean that my experience is invalidated it doesn't mean that my experience doesn't exist and to kind of just be open and acknowledge people's experiences and be willing to learn when people tell you about the experiences instead of being too quick to being quick to be defensive you know what i'm saying because i think there's a lot of defensiveness when we open up about our situations especially when it comes to racism whereas white people say but not all of white people, but I have a black friend, but I'm not racist. But I very, know. But my very yeah. best friend is black. You know, all those things. I mean, people I, I can have black children and still be racist. You can have a child with a black man and still be racist. So I don't understand where's how your connect 
your proximity to blackness does not make you a racist. You know what I'm saying? You have to be open-minded. That it just boils down to that. Yeah, I, I suppose that there's there's many offensive things that somebody could say or do and actually not even realize how it could be perceived mm. by, by the person saying it. I remember time I was this lady I was talking to her and now she was telling me that her sibling um, works for an organization like the World of Words Foundation and I was like oh my god that is so interesting I would actually really love to meet her see how she does what she does you know so I can learn from her maybe we can share experiences and um, see if we could um, come up with some best practices and and all of that and her first response to me is saying Oh yeah, sure. You could meet her, but be warned, they're not going to give you any. F and I was taken aback. I was like, I, well, right? I, "What? Like, just because I'm black and I'm African doesn't mean I'm going to come with you, come at you with a begging bowl." I just wanted us to sit down and say, "This is what I do. This is what you do." And exactly. Let, yes, let's share experiences and let's help each other grow. So, um, I I absolutely do appreciate what you're saying when you say. That, that defensiveness comes from the fact that that lady who said that to me, she she's not aware. She's not aware how how she actually took it in a context of Africa, beggars. Mm. And therefore, if she wants a meeting, she's going to be asking for money. And who does that anyway? Is, is that even something yeah. that's common to me? Um, but um, I, I remember I, you and I also had a conversation whereas you, I think you said that whenever we go to places like Europe, there's always that presumption from Europeans that you're leaving, you're coming to study here because your situation back back home isn't good. And you're just like, but at home, I have someone who cleans for me. I have all of this. And it's kind of like a culture shock for them because you as a black person in your home country kind of live better than them in the first world. Do you know what I'm saying? That was yeah. also kind of like mind blowing to some of them. And that was just like, okay, <laughs> very revealing yeah. to me as well about how people think about Africa versus the first world, whether you've been when they when they haven't been there. Had you had you ever given your chance to actually watch Irish television? Um, um some no. their sitcoms and and the news channels and and um news channels, so popular. Yes. I read a lot of their yeah, newspapers, but not because like Because I found something. Pardon? I'm saying I read a lot of their newspapers and watched their news, but beyond that, no. Because um, in my apartment, I often had the television on while I was cooking or, or cleaning, that sort of thing. Just that um, when there were ad breaks, if ever they were talking about Africa, it was always like a Red Cross advert or a Doctors Without Borders advert. Mm. And I'm like, so this is the only thing they get to see when when they hear about Africa. Um, famine, drought, mm. um, Ebola, um, HIV, um, famine, again, hunger, starvation, war, war, war. And that's all that's just really in their face a lot of the times, but I suppose the way you said it, um, there's really no excuse to remain ignorant in a time when information is so is so easily easily accessible. Exactly. But um, but um, let let not to go on on that uh for for too long. And since we're almost reaching the end, um, do you think you could uh, please tell us, um, me and the listeners about the course that you did? and um, what that means for you and uh, what, what you think you, 
you can now bring what a course like that should bring to to South Africa, especially in the pivoting within the humanitarian spaces. Okay, so I did my master's in international human rights law at the Irish Centre for Human Rights. And the Irish Centre for Human Rights in Ireland is kind of renowned for human rights and having some of the best lecturers in human rights. I met the most amazing supervisor who kind of opened up my eyes about what I could actually do in this field. And I think she's the one who encouraged me to do a PhD. So I'm looking to further my studies in international human rights. And I know in South Africa in particular, there aren't a lot of people doing research and PhD. There aren't, there aren't enough PhD students. So I know there is a demand. So I think that kind of opens up a world for me, but I'm not sure if that will lead me completely to academia or still going back and working for a nonprofit, but you will definitely not see me working for a corporate company. I think that part of my life is definitely over. And I think I just know whatever path I take, that's definitely never going to be one of them. It's either going to be academia or it's going to be staying within the nonprofit field or just doing my own thing like I've always done. That's also a viable field to me. Yeah. So I think it has opened up my world, especially because a master's from Europe weighs a lot in terms of when when uh, universities are considering uh, PhD students, they do look at where your master's was from. So I mean, I spoke to a girl and she said that uh, European masters are rated very high. And I think even just companies, knowing that you have international experience also weighs heavily in your favor. So I think it has definitely put me at a, an advantage. But I think even with that, people still look for experience within the field. So it's hard to pivot from a certain area if you don't have experience in the field you're trying to break into, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, like like I did say, that was that was our our last um question for you. And we've we've had such a interesting um decision. I'm sorry, pardon, um discussion about um, identity, about our blackness, about to be black in different contexts and, and, and who you are. Uh, but uh, maybe you could, just before we go, you could just tell our listeners, maybe in two, three sentences, who is Balisa Lupule and where can they follow you? And for more fashion tips. And one thing, I, one thing that I absolutely admired about you is your dedication to your body. She is absolutely amazing she works out she eats well uh, and um yes just just tell us a bit about that personal side of you quickly before we we let you go um three words uh three i think what describes me when people look at me they always think of humanitarian activist is one that comes up and someone who's passionate about everything that she does so i think i'll never do something i'm not passionate about whether it's running I'm huge on running, whether it's um, studying, I'm always going to take the passion path. And if it doesn't align with my morals and dignity, and definitely I won't do it. And having worked in a corporate law environment, I literally stand by that and seeing how they work and some of their practices. So definitely someone who who puts her her passion and her and the law and everything above 
money and profits because if that was me I would have pursued the corporate environment but outside of all of that I do enjoy running and yeah I'm uh, yeah I'm a huge marathon runner so yeah that's that's Balissa in a nutshell and you can follow me on Instagram it's at Balissa it's at Lipule Balissa on Twitter and it's at Balissa Lipule on Instagram Balissa underscore Lipule on Instagram yeah, those are the only okay. two platforms I'm on. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much. Um, I hope people will actually look into your pages. I find your fashion sense to be absolutely amazing, quite European, but absolutely amazing. And thank you so much for the insight that you've offered. Thank you so much for joining us today. And um, I wish you a lot of, lot of luck uh, in your future endeavors. And I hope you get everything that you envision for your future. That was Palisalipule, everybody. Um, thank you again for joining us. Please subscribe. Please listen out for more podcasts. And comment. Leave some comments in the comment section so we can better be able to give you what you want to be hearing from us at the World of Words Foundation. Again, Palisa, thank you very much and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you, Tato. It was really good being here and thanks for having me. Okay, thank you. And until next time for Foundation, it is goodbye.